Hello, this is the They Them Podcast, um, and uh, we have guests again this uh, episode. Um, we did a collab um, for their channel before talking about Booksmart. So if you want to check that out, um, that happened a couple of weeks ago. Um, and we should say their names. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We have names. Okay, perfect. So does everybody want to go around and introduce themselves? Sure. So their favorite flavor of ice cream? Team building exercise. <laughs> Um, hello, my name is Amy. I am one of the two hosts of BFAF, which is a podcast. Um, and my favorite flavor of ice cream is mint chocolate chip. Oh, damn it, you stole mine. <laughs> it's a good flavor, to be fair. I am Grace, the other host of BFAF. And my favorite flavor of ice cream is, I guess, not mint chocolate chip, but probably something like cherry chocolate. You can, it's not, there's not a rule and you can't have the same answer. Nope, me. I gotta be different now. <laughs> I'm SG. I am a professional uh, guest of BFAF podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and my favorite ice cream is just plain old chocolate. Um, and I am Antonio, aka uh, Whooping Cough, aka DJ Rotero. And uh, I uh, wrote the music for the BFAF podcast. And it's actually you probably did. the best thing that I ever did. And we didn't mention it in that episode. I'm so fucking mad at myself. Yeah. Anyway, but. Uh, just I, I wrote the music. It's like actually like kind of a bop. I, I, I played so. it today like a couple of times because I was like <laughs> wanting to get into the mood. It's like that. unironically like one of the best things I've ever written in my fucking life. And I'm about to release it an is album. So good. So, Every um, single anyway. time that we put out an episode, there will be a like two hour phase in our apartment where we'll just keep randomly breaking out into the theme song. It's so <laughs> good. Um, yeah. So my favorite uh, flavor of ice cream is no ice cream because I'm anorexic. Uh, that's not rum raisin. Oh I God, love I rum raisin. The favorite uh, flavor of ice cream, and I don't even eat dairy. I also don't. I'm lactose intolerant. Like, I but like for rum and raisin, like I will shit myself. Fucking happy. Like, that's fine. So uh, basically, we were wanting to do this episode because um, we just really want to annoy Grace. Uh, <laughs> SG Amy and I are like obsessed with Harry Styles um and uh Amy and I basically like send each other Harry Styles TikToks like at least once a day yes (laughs) I I just reblog everything Harry Styles that Amy puts on Tumblr (laughs) (laughs) I feel like um although like I don't think that I was like the cause of either of you getting into Harry Styles I feel like now I am a culprit of keeping it going almost because yeah, you both yeah. follow me on social media oh 100% SG was actually the one that got me into Harry Styles which like I'm a fucking prick for this but like I was just like stubbornly like no no the one direction blah blah and then like like SG played me uh the last song off Harry Styles first solo album I was just like oh my god this is like fucking gorgeous um, and then became obsessed with like Sign of the Times and like Kiwi and um, the, just anything amazing. Yeah, the way that I got into it was like I was just on Twitter one day. I was fucking depressed because we were living in that fucking terrible apartment <laughs> together <laughs> and shit. And I was like just going through Twitter and then I saw this like 
very aesthetic video of a kitchen window and it was raining and in the background was playing this song and I was like what cool indie band <laughs> made this song <laughs> so I I googled like the lyrics and I was like oh fuck it's Harry Styles and then I was like I gotta listen to everything <laughs> and then I would listen to everything <laughs> I think that in that case, I might have gotten into Harry Styles before because I distinctly remember like when I was living above like Amy. By the way, I lived on like on top of Amy's house on a little in a little <laughs> studio. Um, yep, a little house uh, that was split into two apartments. Yeah, um, and uh, I like. I remember there was one time that I was like running upstairs for some stupid fucking reason, and then Amy texted me like, "What the fuck are you doing?" And I'm like, "Oh shit, I forget the <laughs> downstairs neighbors." It was so bad. I felt so, I still feel very embarrassed about that. Um, but I remember you and I like talking about like sign of the times and like, I like, I at least was obsessed with sign of the times. So maybe it happened before and I'm not giving myself yeah, enough maybe. credit. Um, I just need to take a moment to establish the fact that I was both a fan of One Direction and Harry Styles. <laughs> so I was a, I'm not like other girls girl and scoffed at all the girls who were into like the Jonas Brothers and Justin Bieber. And then I hit my junior year of high school and I discovered One Direction right as their second album was coming out and my life has never been the same. <laughs> See, what happened was I met Amy and then my life has never been the same. And so I'm forgetting about One Direction and Harry Styles. Um, so we're not wanting to like just talk about Harry Styles. Harry Styles is just kind of the jumping off point. Um, yes. Basically what we're wanting to talk about is um, like the Vogue cover shoot that he just did um, that like we're all fucking obsessed over. Um, and and the kind response of, to it. Yeah, the, yes. the response I think to us has been like confusing um, because it seems to be like overwhelmingly good obviously, but like there's a distinct massive amount of people on Twitter who are like really upset by it and not like a Republican way. It, it was more of like a like, um, POC have been doing this for like such a long time like and we just got like a white boy on the like cover of Vogue mm. um, and I, Amy I've and also I, like, seen yeah. um, people are accusing him of queer baiting yes yeah so yeah. there are two things that we definitely want to talk about this episode the first one is revolutionary burnout and like how we've sort of uh, come to view that um, Cause like Amy and I had a really long text conversation about like what we felt about the backlash um, towards Harry Styles uh, Vogue cover. Um, and then I inspired a TikTok, uh, which is all that I've ever wanted to do in my life. Um, <laughs> and uh, then uh, like, we also wanted to talk about queer baiting and um, the glass closet, which is a term that I didn't know about until like four fucking days ago. So um, I will not be heading that conversation as I know nothing about the subject, but it's very interesting. Um, but yeah, anyway, so we're not gonna talk about Harry Styles forever uh, just because we don't wanna like kill Grace. Um, <laughs> He's just a very good like central point for all of these topics. Uh, I feel like Amy, you're a lot more familiar with exactly what the backlash has been. So would you care to explain? <laughs> Um, so there has been a, I feel like there's like almost like three kinds of people right now. There's the people who are just like, yeah, Harry Styles wore a dress on the cover of Vogue. Cool. Awesome. And then there's the people who are like, there's a man wearing a dress. No. And we don't care about them because we just know we don't agree with them and they're horrible. <laughs> and then, 
And then there's people who are extremely upset that Harry Styles was given the opportunity to be the first man on the cover of Vogue by himself. Um, so my understanding is that there's been other men on the cover, but they've always been accompanied by like women. Um, and so he's the first man to do it completely by himself. And he did it in a dress. And um, there's a lot of backlash about the fact that it should have been a person of color to do that because that people of color have been challenging gender roles for much longer. And there's a lot of like rhetoric saying that Harry has only gotten this opportunity because he is white, which is true but i think there's a lot of people just like ignoring any sort of nuance like the, the thing is that they're not wrong like we have people like uh prince and uh like i, I mean michael jackson even to an extent and like lil nas now and like just like paris is burning like that whole scene um was all about like gender bending and like exploring sexuality and gender and everything I, I, and that was a specifically like poc thing um i mm -hmm. i think to me i i don't know if it's that i'm getting old i might be uh i have gotten to the place in my life where i figured out that i'm not gonna die at 25 um so you have to like kind of recalibrate yeah, because your you're brain. older than 25 now <laughs> uh almost 27 27 in a couple of weeks actually yeah anyway um but uh so, so i realized i'm not gonna die at 25 and now i have to like kind of switch my brain over into like thinking that oh I, i'm gonna stay alive and i kind of want to stay alive so i have to like kind of learn how to play the revolutionary long game instead of this like angry, angry, burnout, bright, like diet fucking 25 of a drug overdose because of the pressure of the revolution. And like, I think it was really, really nice for me to like, like talk to SG and like, we, we've kind of figured out that we're like sort of arrived at the same place uh -huh. of like, I like either burnt out or trying very hard to not get burnt out. And so just aggressively trying to be happy on purpose. Um, so the, the thing that upsets me about seeing all of this backlash of like, it should have been a person of color. Is it like, yes, but you kind of have to like, if you play that game of always just fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting and never enjoying the little victories that you get, you're gonna fucking burn out so quick when there's actually things that are like, like I, just from being on TikTok, like the difference that Harry Styles has made in like, I, I remember seeing this TikTok in specific, that's just like what I used to dress as a, how I used to dress as a directioner and like how I dress now as a Harry Styles fan. And like this like girl was like, like went from like a t-shirt and jeans to like this fucking amazing three-piece suit, like just incredible high-waisted pants and like peach colored everything. And uh, like, I, I, I think like even for like, women and like non-binary people and like men like there's been this massive massive change of like femboys who seem to be predominantly straight and like are all wearing fucking maid outfits and look really hot and yeah. like i like it, it's just so nice to see that and i'm really like i like it's nice to feel nice and i think it's really important to kind of sit down and enjoy 
actual progress that we've made as society instead of just kind of like as much as the backlash is necessary like it's also incredibly necessary to learn that you're playing the long game so you have to kind of enjoy the little things and i think there's also an aspect of it where it's like if you nitpick things too much in trying to create progress the people like people who aren't a part of trying to create that progress will read it as this was a bad thing. We'll never do that again. Instead of we didn't do it quite right. Let's do it better the next time. Um, And so I think if you over critique something such as Harry Styles Vogue cover, what you'll cause to happen instead of like, Oh, well the next one should be a person of color. If it's going to be somebody who's like playing with gender on the cover instead, they're going to say, Oh, well we'll never offer the cover to somebody again who would be pushing boundaries by being on the cover because we got backlash the last time we did that mm-hmm. and it's like you need to celebrate the little victories rather than being mad that they're not the perfect victory yeah it's a matter of so, fact i i wanted to first like i wanted to ask grace you're our kind of average jolene in this situation <laughs> oh, um <laughs> no but like what what was your first reaction to it? I mean, okay, to be fair, I'm kind of biased because my reaction came when Amy started ranting about all of it to me. Yeah. Um, but, like, I mean, the same thing. It's it's one of those things, like Amy said, if, like, to an outside person, people criticizing the fact that Harry Styles, you know, was in a dress on the cover of Vogue. I haven't even seen the Vogue cover. That's how much I don't know about this. Like, <laughs> I just have heard the reactions. Um, but I feel like Amy's, like, finding a picture right now to text That's me. why your scoffing of oh. my average Jolene thing <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> like, <laughs> you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I think it's the same thing. Like, think about if you're giving this a negative response, then, like, yes, technically you have a different standpoint from, like, a conservative who's giving it a negative response, but you're also just mm-hmm. sound like a conservative who's sitting there mad that there's a man in a dress somewhere. Like, yeah. It's not, it, at its very core, it is a positive thing and it is a revolutionary thing and it is not the most groundbreaking thing that it could be. Um, but, yep, I have a text message from Amy right now <laughs> of Harry, Harry Styles on the cover of Vogue. Oh, wait, no, I have seen this. Okay. Um, <laughs> but you forgot it. But I forgot it because I don't, I, I don't, I don't care. Um <laughs> That's okay. That's a lie. I care about the entire situation that happened around it, and I like Harry Styles, so like, cool for him. But also, I don't care. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I mine's basically the same thing as Amy. Like, yeah, it's not like no progress is ever going to be perfect. Like, there is no end game, a hundred percent completion. You got all the badges for, you know, life. Like, that's not how it works. That's not how the yeah. world works. Um. So like, you have to take the wins where you can get them and be encouraging and give constructive criticism rather than tearing something down. Otherwise, yeah, like Amy said, you just go backwards. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the left and like just progressive Twitter especially has a massive problem with optics. Um, and, and it's exactly what you guys are saying, but like we, like you're just gonna sound like the pool of people who are like being negative towards it. Um, instead of like thinking how your response to something will um, like, how, 
what benefit will it actually reap? And, and I think we've gotten to the point where we're old enough that we've started to see exactly how things react to the way that you say things. Like it, that, that the fact that you, that the way that you say things affects how people react. So I at least have like really, really learned in the last, especially two years um, that I have to be really, really careful about how I'm perceived. It's not just my intentions. It's not just me trying to move things forward. I have to be careful about how things land. Um, and I think that's a very adult and boring thing to learn uh, because it doesn't feel as like revolutionary and as like punk as everything. And it kind of makes you look like a centrist most of the time, which everybody's a centrist to somebody. So like it, it it's a really difficult lesson to learn to kind of unpunkify yourself for the good of society. Um, I don't, that, I that's been that's... really hard for me. I think that's too something where it's like a lot of the people who are upset on like TikTok or Twitter, I think are younger than us. At least the people that I do know the ages of because like they have it in their bio or whatever, I know are all younger than us. And I think part of it is probably that they are still in school or something like that. And so they're kind of in their bubble right now. And we're older and have broken out of our like little liberal arts school bubble yeah. and realized that like out in the real world, you can't just fight all the time and get upset at people and just nitpick everything. And it's like, you have to one, pick your battles two learn to accept, like you would have loved to, you know, make more, uh, like gain more ground, but you'll take the inch you got in the conversation that you were having with your, you know, coworker or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like, I think some of these people aren't, and I hate to do it because it sounds so like you're not out in the real world, but like they're not out in the real world. Yeah. I mean, I, like, I remember being in college and feeling guilty if I didn't go outside without lipstick for a season in my life and like feeling like I wasn't like being like cool enough. And like now if I would wear lipstick once to work, like they would think that I was taking the piss. So like, I, like it, you, you go outside and you're like, Oh shit. Like all of these things, like they're not accepted at all. Like they're really, really not. And we're not going to get to the point where we get to see all of the changes that we want done to society. We're, like we're going to die before that happens. And it, it's really, really nihilistic, but you have to kind of like, to, to me, hedonism is the thing that saves you from complete black nihilism in, in that you, you like really kind of just have to learn to be happy on purpose and like just really, really enjoy as much as you can with what you've got, because you're never going to get everything and you're never going to completely succeed. And like, even if there is the revolution, like I the, sometimes revolution go a little bit like uh, Iran and uh, that's not always fun. Um, so it like, it, it's really depressing. It's a depressing reality to come to that you're not going to like see the end of everything. But I think something good comes of it and that you like realize that you have to like make yourself fucking happy. Like the thing is that um, no revolution is ever perfect. Like all revolutions have their issues because we are human and we make fucking mistakes. So like it's going to happen. And I do agree with you as far as the being happy aspect. Um, the like when I first like saw especially like Amy you reblogging those pictures and then I saw them I just got excited because it's Harry Styles like I was like oh cool Harry Styles uh, like photo shoot this is what I like in my life and <laughs> and I was talking about it with another person in my like library program 
and we were just like enjoying being happy with what these photos in some ways like not necessarily represent but what they show which is someone who is good at what they do um is doing it in a way that works for them as a person they uh like he does it uh in he tries to be very like from what I've seen, he tries to be very aware of what he does and how he does it. And I think, like, it's kind of perfect to some extent. Like, it's not it's not someone coming in, dressing up that way, and then being a shit to everyone. So, Like, not to uh, go straight into a, like, I'm going to gush about Harry Styles for a second, but I'm going to. Um <laughs> I think a lot of the reason that he has so many fans is not just like pop stardom and all of that, but like the way that he handles himself is really, really good. So like, there's always a lot of reviews about how nice he is on sets, how he's always early, how he goes around and introduces himself to everybody on a set and like learns their names and things. So it's like, you can be like the Vogue intern in the corner who's just there to like top off people's coffee and he like introduces himself to them. Um, and it's receipts like that going around that I think to kind of cause people to be not just casual fans, but really love him. Um, and it's like, yes, there could have been better people to be on the cover, but I guess I'm also happy that somebody who like treats others with respect and like all that did get such a large platform. Um, mm-hmm. Cause even with like, social movements he tries to not get like too into them which like bothers me a little bit because he didn't really use social media so he doesn't like tweet about stuff that often but it's like he went to black lives matter protests he's had a black lives matter sticker on his guitar for a couple years now but he recognizes it's not his place to speak about it and so he doesn't like make big statements or talk about it in interviews and try and be like a face of the movement or something like that he just like subtly shows his support because like that is what he can do as like a white celebrity. Mm -hmm. It's also kind of hurtful to watch all of this happen when he has tried to like do so much effort. It's kind of, I'm going to bring in a different example. Um, Trans Day of Remembrance just happened. um, And uh, there were a couple of tweets going around that were like adding a bunch of big trans celebrities. One of them, Ty Turner, um, uh, basically saying like, I've noticed that nobody said anything about the enormous amount of black trans women that have been killed this year. And honestly, I find that completely appalling. It would be a shame if you got canceled. And like, could you just like, please like, just tweet out like black women, trans lives matter. Just like, so that we don't like cancel your channel or like something like that. And like that that to me is like very, um, A, horrible (laughs) optics because you're like, what are they supposed to do? Like tweet like, Black trans lives matter and like do it like all fucking angry and like it comes off insincere because it was like yeah uh, doing they're the- empty words to some extent and also specifically I didn't know any of the other like YouTubers that got added but I know Ty Turner and like it to me it's just like what 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 has he ever done <laughs> that made you think that he's not pro sorry pro black trans women. And like not appalled by the enormous amount of black trans women that have been killed this year. Like what, what, like what makes you think that, like, was that ever called in the question? Are you going to like, what are you wanting to cancel them for? <laughs> like, I like, so it, it's that kind of same thing where I'm just like, what about 
Harry Styles made you think that he's not a massive fan of like Lil Nas and Prince and like all these people that are Bowie. like I, Bowie's not a POC, but yes. Yeah, but Bowie because but Bowie's, the, oh, there's so much Bowie like, though. The thing is yeah. like you can't see him in that dress without thinking of Bowie. Like yeah. I at least I can't like and well, I understand I I'm not a person saying, of color, but still. I remember like, you saying even when you first texted me about listening to Harry's first album that you saw like Bowie's inspiration mm-hmm. in it. Um, and you can see yeah. so much of not only Bowie but like um, the Beatles and like a lot of other stuff going on that I like didn't think was there and like i think that's what surprised me about it so have you seen the tiktoks where people compare outfits that he's had to outfits that are like ones that uh celebrities in like the 70s and 80s wore where it's Mm -hmm. just like bowie and mick jagger and like a bunch of them elton john yeah john i haven't no he did you know do you know elton john's full like rhinestone baseball um outfit amazing Yes. That was Harry Styles' Halloween costume in like 2014, 2015, so somewhere around there. I love that. I get sort of moving on a little bit. Um, I, I, I think there's an, a, another aspect to this is I think it's very, very harmful the way that we've kind of not allowed ourselves to endorse things in public as like revolutionaries and that we've, we've got this mentality that like in order to be a revolutionary, um, you have to like nitpick at everything and like actually Care Bears is ableist if you think about it a little too hard and like it, it's I, I think that that's a misconception and I, I, I'm saying this in a way that sounds very patronizing and I'm very very sorry I, I didn't mean for it to come across patronizing to anybody who's listening um, what I do want to say is all that our, all of our Care Bear fans are <laughs> sorry like, yeah um, like sin- sincerely uh, if your only reason for not actively liking something is because you're afraid that people are not going to know that you know that it's problematic in a certain way or another. That That's a really sad place to live. And not that sad is ever wrong, but sad is also sad. It, it is really, really hard to publicly like something because to publicly like something is to like, first of all, be like, ew, cringe. And second of all, to like kind of endorse what it's saying or what it's doing. Um, and I, I think we need to, th- th- there's a very specifically American thing that the media that you like defines who you are. Um, and, and I think we kind of have to divorce ourselves from that idea that like, because I like Harry Styles, I am this kind of person. And like, but like also I like Harry Styles and I'm exactly that kind of person. Um, but uh, I don't know. The older that I get, the more that I'm impressed by people who unabashedly like something and will talk to you for the longest time about how much they fucking love it. Because liking things doesn't get as many clicks because we all love to watch people hate on shit. And like liking something opens you up to like, actually, did you think about this? And like, did you think about that? And to me, that is one of the things that I really, really, really absolutely enjoy about listening to BFAF is that you guys like, I mean, sometimes you like criticize things and you criticize, uh, Twilight a lot, which hurt my soul, but um, but also like we still really like Twilight. And oh no, I know. By we still watched Twilight in yeah. the year of twenty twenty. I had to watch critiques. it again because of that episode. 
Um, but like, I like this is more of a question for you guys. Like, what made you guys, when you were making BFAF, kind of decide that you were going more for the route of like talking about things that you were a massive fan of, as opposed to like a trashing channel? I feel like we never even considered like being a trashing channel because the the inspiration was just uh, us being like, wow, we have really great conversations about media that we like consume together. We should be recording this. <laughs> because i mean i think that the thing is our whole thing with bfaf has always been it's our off mic conversations that we just happen to record so it's like we made a point of like this is just who we are in private this isn't us publicly liking things and we don't have a platform yet where it's like ever really going to be us liking things um like it's like publicly liking things it's literally just our private conversations and it's so much easier because you know me and amy know each other so you know if i'm like i like this really problematic thing but i know it's problematic i know amy's gonna understand that and vice versa Mm -hmm. like we have that kind of understanding where we're not going to sit here and cancel each other because you know we have we like something that's actually kind of trashy like yeah yeah it's not it's not like me and antonio always canceling each other (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel like, too, a part of BFAF is that we aren't going to do an episode on something that we don't like because it doesn't really give us something to talk about because we aren't people who sit in our spare time and, like, trash things. Because I feel like we have so many more conversations about, like, the unfair criticism that Tumblr is giving something than we have about, like, ooh, I don't want to watch that thing, though. Like, the, the most things that we have a conversation about where we're just like, ooh, have you seen that, like, really, like, weird trailer for that new movie is just stuff that looks super misogynistic, so we stay <laughs> away from it. I, I mean, even if it's accidental, I think it's it's very... it It's nice. It, like, it, it, like, I feel like noble is a strong word, but also it's, like, it's kind of... I, I don't know. It's just really lovely to watch people actually like things and like talk about why they like things and what makes things good. Cause I think like for me, like whenever I'm like writing or like playing music or anything like that, I have to stop watching like reality TV competition shows. Like I can't watch project runway. I can't watch America's next top model. Like I, cause I like, I get all of their criticism stuck in my head and I like think about like, is this co- like collection of songs cohesive? Like what, it can't just be a color that binds it together. Like I like and, and like I can just like hear like- Gunn's voice Tyra in Banks. the back of your head yeah. going, make it work. <laughs> yeah, Tim Gunn, like I, Tim Gunn's actually nice. I'm like more afraid of like Tim Nina. Gunn. I'm terrified of Nina. Like Nina's voice like haunts <laughs> me in my sleep. I, it's it's kind of hard. It, like I, right now, since I'm in writing mode, I have just like, I've deleted the Twitter app off my phone. I've um like i'm not watching like reality tv competition shows like not even fucking cooking except for great british bake-off because they're nice but like i like i can't watch competition shows i like can't listen to certain music i like have to i I can't watch cringe like on tiktok right now or like cringe comps on youtube or anything like that like i like i have to really really guard myself because I, i like i just can't function if I start thinking about all the ways that I'm cringy and wrong. Cause I am like, I'm oh, just duh, but like, I have to get this shit done eventually. So it, it's just, it's like, I don't know. It, it's nice to have things that are like, I can Positive. reliably go to, yeah. To not want to kill myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think a lot of the problem is that like, 
we've because of social media this is gonna sound so like old and jaded because of social media and tumblr politics specifically and now twitter politics more and more and now apparently tiktok politics because every time amy's like something's going on with like tiktok gender (laughs) gender tiktok and feminist tiktok i'm like this is a terrible platform to be having these discussions but (laughs) i feel like we've gotten to a point where people's identities are becoming their entire personality and it's like people are identifying as a feminist, people are identifying as a social justice warrior, like whatever, like people are taking on these themes that should just be like actions in your life and morals that you have, and they should not define you entirely. Cause like, like we say, that's how you get so burnt out so quickly, but like, it's like you make that your entire personality. And part of it is, you know, you're depressed and anxious, depressed and anxious and the world sucks. So like, what are you gonna do about it? Of course, it's gonna consume every single waking thought you have. But, like, when you actively let that and encourage that to happen, that's when we get the whole, like, I have to critique everything because everything must be feminist because everything I am must be feminist. That's literally impossible. And it's the same, it goes the same way with, like, every single social justice movement out there, every single identity you could possibly think of. Like, you can't have that be the only thing you are because it's just not sustainable like you have to be a little bit cringy and you have to be like a little bit flawed and you have to let flawed things around you because there are not enough perfect things in the world to sustain you I feel like I keep coming back to Rocky Horror Picture Show uh because obviously because it's it's one of those things that like it's so problematic but it feels untouchable because it was just so fearless in the way that it went about things um, and like, it, it's just the kind of fearlessness that I don't even know how to achieve as a human being. <laughs> like, I, I don't think many people can. That was kind of a special moment in time in history. I just like, I think about like the things that make Rocky Horror Picture Show with all of its like eh, completely erroneous, like con- conceptions of like transness and like gender performativity and like sexuality and all that kind of stuff and consent. <laughs> And feminism and all of the things that are like kind of problematic about it. like what what makes it the thing that seems to be uncancelable at least right now it might get canceled next year so who knows um <laughs> but uh this is such an adult episode and like part of me hates doing it because i have to admit that i've like grown up and gotten old and tired um and i never like thinking of myself that way <laughs> would i prefer to be anita sarkeesian or would i prefer to be lady gaga and like Lady Gaga has like plenty of problematic shit. But like when I think about people that like, I, like Born This Way, the album like changed me. Like I don't think that there's any other like piece of art that made me feel so completely like changed from like the first time that I listened to it and for the millionth time that I've listened to it. Um, and and I, I just like, I think I've decided that I have gotten to the point where I'm kind of okay with being wrong sometimes. And that, cause I've been wrong before and I've gotten like mini canceled before. And like, I, I don't know, you, you get to the point where it's just like, yeah, do I want to be Lady Gaga? Do I want to be Harry Styles? Do I want to be Rocky Horror Picture Show? Or do I want to be uh, anime avatar AVI on Twitter criticizing everything and like talking about how everything's problematic. Like I have to make a choice at some point. And that's, I think as a creative, you have to kind of like 
yeah, stop listening to America's Next Top Model so you can actually write music and not feel like you're getting yelled at by Tyra. Um, I think there's also like, you can't be a creative and be a like, everything has to be perfect kind of person because then all you do is look at your own stuff and think about, well, is this perfect representation? Am I going to get canceled? Like if, when this ever gets published? Cause I know I've run into that issue where I'm like, Oh, well the plot I'm writing is technically problematic by feminist standards. And it's like, well, we still need to have works out there that exist to be consumed and you can't have a plot without having conflict and conflict is probably going to stem from something that somebody out there will consider problematic. And it's like, yeah. oh, well, there has to be conflict. That's what's interesting. I think it's also like if you, you know, live in a world where like, like if you just are so afraid of being wrong that you don't put anything wrong out there, you one, don't have a chance to grow and no one else has a chance to grow out of fear of being canceled, but also you create an echo chamber and like no one can ever voice any differing opinion, whether it's right or wrong, whether it's something that they need to grow in or a good point that like the community at large needs to adjust to. Like you, I feel like cancel culture creates this environment where like no one can grow and no progress can be made because everything just gets shut, shut down immediately. Like the steps forward are occasionally going to seem problematic or hard or wrong. Uh, and it's just kind of being able to discuss those steps forward that lets you like find the best constructive way to make progress. And like going with exactly that, that I think is why Rocky Horror works because like at the time period that was like so subversive and yes, it's problematic, but it was a push forward. So like it, it even if we're just talking about it visually is it was doing something that is pushing us forward. And it allows for people who like Rocky Horror to be like, oh, I want to make something like that. But like with less of these like thoughts, like tried to do it with my own spin on things so and it's also a cult thing so like I feel like that's part of the reason why it's untouchable I feel like another thing that I fear in cancel culture is um like somebody getting canceled who doesn't have a good friend group uh, and it's like it, it's just it's hard to tell who has and who doesn't have friends I mean when you have a podcast with your bff like I feel like you can kind of tell that somebody has a bff um, but like, I don't know what I would do without people like, like you two, like SG, like my friend, Anna, um, like Kyle, uh, my boyfriend and, uh, Al and like people, pe I mean, all the people that I went to fucking college with, except for my boyfriend. It's just so important to me that I have friends that are so close to me that they understand that even though I said something wrong and like might be wrong that like I didn't mean for it to like be bad and I'm not like a monster who's unwilling to change. Um, it, like, I, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have that and I got like canceled by the entirety of the internet. Like, I, I, I don't know, that, that, that makes me very, very afraid in the hypothetical scenario of like, uh, there was a, a porn star who uh, made some homophobic comments and then uh, like got canceled on the internet and uh, had been going through a really hard time and then like killed herself in a park. Um, and like, you, you just, I, I fear in canceling people 
me not knowing where they're at and if they can grow from this. Um, like there are some people like R. Kelly that I don't give a fuck about. Um, mm-hmm. But there are people that like, it, I would say in the majority of the cases of cancellations that I've seen, I like genuinely would care to like see them get better. And, and it's hard to like do something in such a way where like there is punishment and retribution for actions, but like, there's also like a little bit of trust that they're wanting to better themselves. I, I don't know. That, that's so hard to know. How do you fucking do that on the internet? Like, you have to call your own shots like it's yeah you just have to make your own decisions on that it's hard with anything ethically like like the more (laughs) the more i study like within like librarian like thought and like library studies it it's all about ethics and in, in the end, you have to call the shots and you have to follow through and you have to like be okay with going back and scratching things out. So uh, I talked about this with Amy in our text conversation, but um, I like, I keep thinking about the Black Panthers um, and specifically like, I, I just finished this book, um, Holler If You Hear Me, it's about Tupac. Um, and uh, I, it was very, very interesting to me. It was kind of like two worlds colliding of like that. I know that the Black Panthers happened and I know that like 90s rap culture happened, but I didn't understand how they were connected. Um, and it's very, it was very interesting reading this book because I see that Tupac's mom was a Black Panther. And that's how he was so goddamn intelligent about everything that he said and like calling himself like Machiavelli and giving all of these like other rappers like fancy names too that they had to go look up so that they knew what he was insulting them with um and he like really made like rap an intelligent genre. he wasn't the first one to do that but he really really popularized making rap intelligent and making it the kind of thing where like you insult someone with a very flowery intellectual thing that they have to go read a book to find out about so you're edifying your own culture but what was interesting to me is that uh, the, the way that he reacted to having a black panther mom because to him pragmatically what happened was that um, his uh, mother was always gone. Like uh, when he was a kid, he, she was always at conferences out like saving the world. Um, and then uh, the world didn't get saved with the Black Panthers and they became like FBI most wanted. And the FBI was like stalking his mom and making her life horrible. And uh, the Black Panthers in general were so anti-capitalist that they just refused to engage in capitalism in the first place, which is extremely noble. Um, and we owe so much to the Black Panthers, but pragmatically, they kind of turned out to be, not all of them, obviously, but like in the example of that, it, it's not that Tupac's mom was a shitty mother, but it, it's that she got burned out um, and um, she got addicted to crack because she was so disillusioned and like afraid because the FBI was like caging her um, and she couldn't hold down a job and they were extremely, extremely poor. So that created this culture um, that was the thug culture that um, was instead of like rejecting capitalism, ultra embrace of capitalism and that very true 80s spirit. We're not gonna overthrow the world because I saw my mom and she had all the knowledge in the world and all of the like passion in the world and all of the fight and drive in the world and it fucking beat the shit out of her. So what am I gonna do now? I'm gonna make rap music and become the thing that people are afraid of me being, which is the thug and whatever and uh, like actually make it and become ultra fucking rich. 
um, in this scenario. And in the end, Tupac got killed too. So like no amount of money can save you from racism. So uh, like it, <clears throat> to me, I, I'm very, very afraid of becoming like the Black Panthers in as much good as they did. I have to think about the fact that like, regardless of how history goes, I have to stay alive. What impact am I gonna have on my children that I don't want to have? But like, like what, what kind of impact am I gonna have on the next generation if I burn out um, and like completely lose that drive and like uh, let them down by my refusal to um, be realistic, unfortunately. Um, I, like, I feel like we're just gonna get a second yuppie generation where they're like an ultra embrace of capitalism because they saw how much of a fuck ups like Gen X and Gen Z was like, or, well, Gen X, Gen Y and Gen Z. I, I don't know, I, I fear that, I, am I being paranoid? I, I don't know. Um, it's just something that I think about a lot, especially from having read this book and like the <laughs> cautionary tale that is Tupac's life and how it was engaged with the Black Panthers. I like don't know how to follow that up. Because <laughs> <laughs> you just like touched well, on so many things. I'm like, uh, uh, <laughs> words. <laughs> what, yeah, what I'll throw in is like um, a really good book that uh, kind of does like talks about similar topics, but in a fictional way um, that allows you to Kind of, it's still about the history of the Black Panther parties. The book One Crazy Summer by Rita Williams Garcia. It's a book about three sisters who um, are living in New York with her, uh, their grandmother. Um, their mom, who lives in San Francisco, wants them to come and visit. And they decide to go. And she is a part of the Black Panther Party. And you see this, like, this tearing her apart to some extent of, like, wanting to be there to some extent for her kids, but also needing to be a part of this movement. And um, it's a very complex mother character, which uh, not a lot of kids' fiction, like, addresses. And this is a... a beautiful example of it so I also feel like there's something to say towards the fact that like granted one of these is a fictional character but that these are both stories of mothers who are being revolutionary and mothers have so much more pressure on them to no matter what they're doing be nurturing and be empathetic and spend all this extra emotional labor so it's going to be so much easier for them to get burnt out and I think that like kind of goes back to you know the idea that all women are supposed to be mothers and like supposed to be the family and that family is so like such a product of capital I mean it's not just a product of capitalism but the modern family is such a product of capitalism and if you're going to be tied down to having children then you're not going to have the energy to be a completely radical revolutionary and I don't really know where I'm going with this but I think that's just it's kind of an interesting idea that like mothers yeah. are going to be facing so much more of that burnout yeah, yeah. I guess it is kind of uh <laughs> yeah it, it's really interesting to think about the feminist aspect of that of like uh we play place so much like I feel like me as a reader of 
the book that I was listening to, like, I feel like I placed so much of like the significant blame on uh, like Tupac's mother, when in reality, it was kind of a very sexist system where she was expected to be a Black Panther and be a mother and just like be a Black woman in the US and uh, like carry on with her life and hold down a job. And like, it's a lot. (laughs) Like, how do you survive that? I don't know. In the end, like, it's really, really difficult because the work that the Black Panthers did was so incredibly important. And the, the work that people are doing now of saying like, we need a POC man in a dress because they've been doing this for way longer on the cover of Vogue. Like it, it's so important. And, and it's so hard to criticize that because that is the direction that we need to go in. What I'm trying to say is the very millennial moral, which is like, you have to look out for yourself first and think about your own mental health before you try to change the world. And you have like, but like for real, like, I, <laughs> I think this is more of a personal advice as somebody who burnt themselves out and had to kind of figure out like, okay, I'm not going to die at 25. What now? I don't know. I I think that's also why it's so interesting to like, listen to the episode that I'm still editing because it's like four hours long of uh, like SG in summer um, and like hearing at summer, our old queer theory professor talk about like the, the very real, idea of like being queer in an actual space <laughs> what what do you do i don't know i don't have advice i'm garbage like i why does anybody <laughs> listen to me because you keep talking i do <laughs> i um, also love you <laughs> uh, we don't have much time left and there you did also mention wanting to talk about the glass closet sort of idea oh yeah shit um, so, uh, I didn't know what the glass closet was. So would somebody explain that to the audience better than I would? <laughs> to the class. Um, well, so I learned the term glass closet actually from the One Direction fandom, <laughs> but it's the idea of being, uh, basically being queer coded and never officially coming out to people um, and just kind of assuming that the people who can pick up what you're putting down are going to pick up what you're putting down and you're going to be out to the people who are going to recognize like that you are queer coding yourself. Um, And it's kind of like going through life where you never officially come out. You don't make the Facebook post. You don't sit down your whole family or something like that. Um, So you're still technically by a lot of people's standards in the closet, but you're not hiding. So that's why it's a glass closet. Yeah. And I brought up uh, like when I was talking to uh, Amy about this, um, like Sufjan Stevens is another person that uh, kind of similar to Harry Styles uh, has especially like songs and, and texts that, deal with queerness but has never openly talked about it and um it it all goes back to that whole idea of like um the default is uh heterosexual and cisgender while like i feel like more and more my my default is like oh the the person's gonna be queer until they tell us they're not queer (laughs) so I guess we didn't really say that how we ended up talking about the glass closet prior to this episode was that people were accusing Harry Styles of queer baiting because he does dress uh, like gender nonconforming sometimes and uh, that he doesn't have like 
like SG saw me arguing with people on Tumblr because that's a great way to spend my time um, about how Harry Styles is out, but he isn't out because he's in the glass closet because he has said numerous things that hint that he is not straight. Um, but because it's never been an official large coming out, people still don't give him like they don't think he should have the authority to speak on like queer topics or to do things that quote belong to queer people yeah and uh, kind of going back to the conversation that amy and i had was uh that like i think part of it has to do with the whole culture around like the 2000s and 2010s of um uh when a celebrity comes out they have a fucking like press thing everyone comes out listens to their speech about uh being gay or bi or so on and so forth and like that being like an ultra public way of doing it and um i don't fault any people for that did that or so on but like i think that type of um that type of coming out has has made this thing where people expect um, everyone who is queer in the public eye to do something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like a completely different way that people like want to go about being a celebrity because there's some people who want to just like rip off the Band-Aid and then there's some people who it's like, oh, well, if they, if they figure out what's going on, that's super cool, but I don't want to be out to like the conservatives on Twitter, so... Mm-hmm. And I don't blame them for that at all because the services on Twitter are horrible. Yeah. I mean, it, it's also a matter of like to be any sort of anything and to be famous. Like, I, like to, to be any sort of queer as a celebrity means that you're an automatic spokesperson for it. So I don't blame people for it. It's just not fair to anybody to make them the spokesperson for trans women. And like in Harry Styles thing, I'm just going to assume he's bisexual because I'd love that for myself. Um, And like, (laughs) like for him to be the spokesperson for all bisexuals is like a thing that would be expected of him and is also still problematic because like, again, you have that thing of like the person who's the spokesperson for bisexuals is a, a man, be a white man, see a white man. What, what do you do? Like, I, I don't right. blame him for not wanting to do that to himself and to other people. And it, it's not necessarily that one is more noble than the other, but I see a certain amount of like, not making yourself the authority on things, uh, which takes a mm. bit of humility. Well, and I think too, if people are, you know, labeled as a spokesperson because they do this like high key coming out, that's what all of their interviews about anything will ever be about. Um, And so I think for a lot of people too, it's not just like they don't want to deal with the, the backlash and all of that, but also it's like what I can imagine in Harry Styles case, what it might be is that he wants his work and his art to be what is asked about and spoken about and what people think about when they think of him, instead of just thinking of like, Oh, that like bisexual guy who used to be in one direction. Cause like, that's mm-hmm. what he would possibly become. Um, and even though it's like blatantly there in some of his lyrics, I don't know if um either of you have heard his unreleased well it's not unreleased he performed it on his last tour but there's no studio version of the song that's called medicine 
No. Um, and in it, he openly sings a lyric that he says, the boys and the girls are here. Um, I mess around with them and I'm okay with it. And so it's like, he is out, but by never saying it, no interviewer is ever going to be like, what did you mean by that one lyric in medicine yeah. that your song that you never recorded in a studio, like no one's going to do that. And so he gets to avoid like all sexuality questions and conversations by doing that, by just like not having a press conference or a, a giant Instagram post with like a huge ass paragraph after it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's literally like it reminds me of uh, once again, this is Super Jen Stevens with uh, um, with a giant wasp of the Palisades where it's a complete song about falling in love with his best friend at a summer camp. And like no one ever like no interviews ever talk about that. And it's in his biggest album, like one of his two biggest albums. But like it doesn't have to be talked about like it exists for what it is so it's kind of like the taylor swift thing where people were accusing her of queer baiting for doing like the music video for me and stuff like that and then it turns out that talking through like folklore it seems pretty clear that uh there's some bi vibes there <laughs> so uh, it, and she received all of this backlash for like making herself a queer icon when she's not even queer um, and then it turns out that like, maybe she might be. Uh, and uh, like the whole point of this, uh, like regardless of what Harry Styles, like gender and sexuality is, even if he is a cis straight white man um, who's wearing a dress, like that was the whole point of the gender fuck like movement is to have cis straight men be completely comfortable wearing a maid outfit. And that's super fucking hot. We did like, this is a good thing. Like we, we, don't need to possess gender expression as queer people that doesn't belong to us. We don't have clothes well, that belong to us. I feel like all that does too is reinforce stereotypes. And it's like, if you don't allow room for everybody to start like using like inclusive language and like things like people who don't like that straight people will call their significant other like partner or significant other mm -hmm. because they're like oh well just like it's just confusing and like just say like husband or wife or whatever like it's like no because like if you don't allow other people to like play in that space we never get rid of the stigmas and the stereotypes and the assumptions yep um, I wanted to mention real quickly, like a historical example of this, which is um, uh, I, I've been reading a lot about James Baldwin lately. And James Baldwin is a really interesting um, case of someone who uh, very much led a queer life um, and was very public about certain things, especially very public dealing with um, uh, like racism and so on and being a part of the civil rights movement. But um, like he wrote uh, Giovanni's Room, which is a book that really deals with uh, black bisexuality. And um, it he never like, it was of course a time period where you didn't just like have a thing and come out and so on, but he never felt the need to like explain that about himself because of like 
because I think to some extent the, the work speaks like the, the work is doing the work. Like it doesn't. And I'm, I'm completely fine with a little bit of confusion in that sense of just like a lot of people go back and forth about whether he was just gay or whether he was bi or so on. When we could just easily say he was a black queer man living in America in in one of the worst times to be a black queer man. (laughs) Like, and he, of course, also said some problematic shit to like Audre Lorde ones and things. So like, there's no simple, like, there's no simple answer to any of this. And I think that's kind of the great thing about it is, yeah, you can get exhausted by it all, but... um, but I think like taking it bit by bit is important. Oh, oh, oh one thing I, I, everyone should listen to the BFAF episode of The Last of Us 2. It's like, <laughs> I love that episode. Have you even played The Last of Us 2 no. or anything? No, but I love that episode. Like, I thought your guys' conversation was so fascinating that, like, even if you haven't played that game, it's worth listening to. Like, it, like... Now I'm I, like, I'm going to go re-listen it to it because I didn't realize that we were that good no. at it. I, I like second that. It's so good. Yeah. SG. I and it's really good. If you liked it, you guys should look up a walkthrough of both the first game and the second game. Yeah. The storyline is so good. That, it's that's so heartbreaking like, and amazing. That's part of, like it is that it got me very excited for the possibility of playing that game and um but also like um i especially loved the conversation you guys had dealing with um the the whole like trans character and the way people were viewing one of the like female characters who's just buff and so on and so (laughs) forth so I'm still so angry about that. <laughs> I know. It's, I saw a tweet. I like yesterday. It's been how long since that game came out? And I saw tweets yesterday to the dir- creative director being like, "Oh, blah blah blah. You know that game sucks. Like that kind of thing." And it's like, get over it. It's over. It's done. It's out. You don't like talk seven about it months. Give it yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't like it, let it go. So yeah, listen to that episode if you have it. <laughs> Truly, like, just listen to the BFAF podcast. It's really, really, like, lovely to listen to. Uh, like, my favorite episode is still the Avatar Last Airbender one uh, <laughs> slash Korra, because um, I fucking love that show. Um, that was a really good episode as well. And the Twilight one was awesome. That's, like, I have a special... I have Twilight, a soft spot nom, nom, nom. for the Pacific Rim episode. Yes. Um, well, of course you do. <laughs> And it's one of your earlier episodes, I think, too. It was like the second one. Yes. Yeah. Something like that. It was last one. It was very early on. Everyone should check out uh, the episode about Booksmart 2019. (laughs) Olivia Wilde. Because it has all of these weirdos in it. (laughs) And that was a pretty good episode, too. And also (laughs) our longest episode. Yes. (laughs) Obviously. Maybe we'll start with that one, then. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i'd start with another <laughs> wait have i ever told you too that my sister listens to they them no no that's yeah, awesome my sister loves your podcast she's learned oh so much from it and because like she's that kind of person where like she 
is fully capable of being like really well socially educated, but there's nobody in her life besides me to like really tell her anything. So she asks me what she can, but like, it'd be super like weird for her to just like text me every single day being like, is it correct for me to say this? Um, and so she is like super into they them because she feels like you guys do such a good job, like explaining things and talking about nuance. And it helps her like learn about like, all kinds of just issues that she has like no other way to have access to in her life. Oh my God. So I'm, like, I'm like tearing I'm like up a little blushing. bit. Same. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Uh, we should, uh, social media. Um, yeah. I am at Rotero Rotero on Twitter and I am at Rotero 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 on Instagram. Uh, I'm writing an album, which is not out yet. So that's not useful plugging it. I'm at Moon Poet, everything capitalized, uh, zeros for O's. Uh, also, because it is uh, appropriate theme-wise, uh, check out You Flower, You Feast, an anthology of poems, prose, and plays inspired by Harry Styles. You can look it up by going to youflowerufeast.com. Of course, uh, I'm promoting this partially because one of my poems is in there. um my twitter is at hey it's underscore amy j that's a-m-y-j-a-y and my instagram is just at hey it's amy j and so is my tiktok (laughs) so is my youtube (laughs) i'm not plugging my tiktok embarrassing uh my twitter is at grace underscore jessica and that is jessica with two a's um that is my only social media that you can find uh but you can also follow the bfaf podcast at bfa bfaf pod on twitter and instagram and tiktok and instagram and tiktok <laughs> and technically tumblr but there's nothing on the tumblr like there's not even an icon Stop. oh i gotta I follow that <laughs> oh i gotta follow that tumblr i keep forgetting to follow that tumblr anyway uh it was lovely to have you guys on this is a really great conversation yeah, i hope you have a great time uh, and uh, yeah, bye. bye. I'm just going to stop bye. recording. <laughs>